You're listening to 10 Points, a podcast with your hosts, Ash and Nicholas, where all the talk is Canadian Highlander, our favorite format from the best trading card game ever, Magic the Gathering. Hey guys, it's me, Nicholas. And me, Ash. Today we're going to be talking about mid-range and the very wide variety of different types and builds that you can make of the archetype. But first, we're going to talk about our best card from, and today we're talking about our best cards from Ice Age. So, Nick, uh, you want to talk about your card? Um, yeah, this one, there's actually, like, a few, like, pretty solid cards from this set. Um, but, I mean, I don't think this is going to surprise many people. I picked Brainstorm, um, just because if you're playing a blue deck, you're probably playing Brainstorm. Like, that's just how it goes. Uh, it's very strong with fetch lands and tutor effects, which uh, we Canadian Highlander players play a lot of, um, and it's just strong on its own. Yeah, um, while I agree there are a lot of solid cards out of this set, unfortunately a decent chunk of them are actually reprints, so that uh, as per our rules of best card from, we do not get to use those ones, but... The other options that we were discussing... Oh, I should clarify. My card is also Brainstorm. Yeah. A um, couple other options we were discussing are like the Snowlands. Those come up a lot. Uh, yeah. We discussed a little bit of... Um, the Painlands. Yeah, the, uh, the first Painland cycle. And there are a couple other cards from this set, but uh, Chub think- Toad being one of them, of course. Oh, for sure. Um, masterful yeah. piece yeah, of I design think- right there. Like, Nature's Lore and Glacial Chasm are both cards that see play, but... Yeah, those are probably uh, some of the top ones. And the, I yeah. mean, there's Pyroblast and Hydroblast, but those are very, very rarely used in Highlander. Yeah. And really, 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 like, specific metas that could come up, but... <laughs> um, or if you're playing, like, a weird Pox deck where you're expecting to discard a bunch of cards so you can play, like, niche cards and just discard them. Uh, I did see Pox, and Ash has once played... Hawks in Canlander, and I think after I beat him on a Malta three, he uh, gave up on that deck. I thought you were about to say you said Ash has once played Pox. I thought you were saying Ash has won playing Pox, and I was gonna be like, <laughs> incorrect. Deck is bad. Don't yeah, no, it is, don't do it. It is not good. At least not the way I built it. Um. Anyway, brainstorm as Nicholas said is an insane card. Uh. I think I probably have more lifetime brainstorms than you. Actually, I guarantee you have more lifetime brainstorms than you. That's not even close. But it's a uh, it's, it's a good one. Go play it. Very strong. Okay, so uh, now we're gonna get into our discussion about mid range, and there's a lot to cover with mid range. So if we miss something, you know, you guys want more information about something, feel free to reach out uh, on Twitter or if you can get us on discord do that but um we can try and answer any other questions you might have we'll try and cover at least a touch on pretty much everything here today so nick you want to kind of give a brief overview as to what mid-range means yeah um mid-range it's like kind of um hard to define i would say my best definition is like if you like if control and aggro had a baby and they like created this archetype where you're like kind of trying to control the early game um, like through various disruption, killing their threats, uh, attacking their hand, countering their spells or whatever. But then you're just like playing like a bunch of really solid two, three, four, five uh, uh, drop threats that 
are just going to like kill your opponent as you continue to disrupt them. Um, so it's like similar to tempo, but um, it's less about like getting one threat and kind of protecting that and disrupting them. It's more about disrupting them and then just playing various threats that are going to kill them. I find it funny that you bring up tempo because my analogy, uh, I was going to make an alteration to your analogy. I think mid range is like if control and aggro had a child, but instead of following either one of their footsteps, it followed in the footsteps of its weird uncle tempo. So it has all the <laughs> tools. It has the tools of controller aggro, but you play it like tempo sort of, sort of. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like a really, um, and I, we're going to talk about this more later. There are so many different types of mid range and ways to build mid range. It's really hard to give like an exact definition, but I think that's like a pretty good baseline. Yeah. It is um, a sizable umbrella. Yes, it is. So, um, kind of the, some of the philosophy that goes into how you build a mid range deck or maybe a better way to put it, how, how mid range normally works is you really want all of your cards to do something in almost any situation as opposed to, you know, aggro or control where there are times where you have dead cards, um, in mid range, you want everything to you have at least some utility in just about every single matchup. I would say the exception to this rule is against, um, like creatureless combo decks. You do have dead cards, but yeah, I would say, um, you're probably on some amount of removal, which, um, is dead in a lot of, or in some matchups, but like even your, um, your removal spells you want to have some versatility to them if possible yeah a great example of that is coligan's command that card is pretty good at killing stuff but if you don't have a x2 to kill you can uh just like hit your opponent's hand and regrow a creature or maybe shatter something yeah it is that's one of my favorite cards really it's just so feels so good to cast how did you feel about prismari command getting printed uh, that is less exciting than Coligan's Command, but it's still, like, really strong. Um, right, that's, that's and fair. it's just another tool for mid-range. Yeah. So, um, another thing that, uh, the, kind of goes along with that point of all your stuff doing something is part of mid-range is you want pretty much, you, you want your deck to be the best deck in the, in the matchup when you guys, with both players have kind of run out of cards and you're both top decking, you want pretty much every card you draw to be like a good top deck. Now there are some, me and Nicholas have had some disagreements about this concept in the past. Uh, specifically for that reason, I don't like to play very many mana dorks in my mid range decks where Nicholas tends to play a greater number of them. In but, certain mid range decks. It depends on right. the build. But I usually play like death, right? Shaman and birds of paradise and that's it. Yeah. I'll usually be on, um, like I said, depending on the build, I'll usually be on like five or six mana dorks. Um, Similar carry added also blocks pretty well, so that one's fine. Yeah, which I I don't actually play Sylvan carry added that much because usually if I'm playing mana dorks, it's because I'm trying to, um, I guess channel uh, a little bit of the uh, medium red um, mentality of trying to skip straight to the three drop slot. Um, sure, that's fair. 
but like I said, it definitely is not correct in every mid-range deck to be playing Mana Dorks. Um, and I'd say only in about 50% of them am I playing Mana Dorks. And when I do, I'm making that a conscious decision in my other deck-building decisions. Yeah. Um, so one uh, one really beneficial part of playing mid-range is that more than any other archetype, you have a lot of flex slots in your deck and you can build it to be you you have a really uh, diverse set of options on how to build it so it can match any particular metagame you need it to yeah and another part of the versatility comes from you can play like pretty much any i'd say three color combination as a mid-range deck and it just be super solid um like there's not one I mean, there are a few color combinations that are maybe more prevalent in mid-range decks, but there's not one color combination that dominates the mid-range scene. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, a lot of people assume that black-green does, and while black-green makes for a very good mid-range deck, it is really just the best of that flavor of mid-range, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I, I think part of the reason that going to three colors is extremely common for mid-range decks is mid-range decks are... They're kind of the best decks at slowing the game down long enough to be able to accumulate mana and resources while also being totally fine just tapping out on their turn to do stuff. So they get to play some of the stuff that is maybe a little bit too slow for aggro decks or too proactive for control decks. Um, so they kind of fall in that happy medium, I think. And kind of going along with that, uh, another reason they get to be in three, or another reason that they benefit so well from being in three colors is you get to play a lot of multicolor cards. And just by the nature of how Magic is designed, multicolor cards tend to be pretty strong. Um, as we were talking about Coligan's Command or Deathrite Shaman, though that kind of doesn't count. Um, uh, that's a, a reason a lot of mid range decks will lean towards three colors because they can leverage individual cards a lot better than some other decks are able to yeah i would agree and there are there are um, two color mid-range decks that you can build but i would say the majority that you'll see will be three color um, and i think another part of the reason for that like we were talking about b before mid-range is um like um a hybrid between making threats and disrupting your opponent so usually you'll have um like one or two like disruptive colors and one um, more proactive color or more two proactive colors and one more disrupting color. Um, but there's not like a whole lot of two color combinations that like really, really um, hit that sweet spot of a good uh, balance between disruption and threats. Yeah. And another, I think I think we kind of both forgot to mention about like the, the philosophy of mid range is, or less the uh, philosophy, more of just like a key thing that decks are known for is they they don't usually work on a type of advantage that control does where they're just like you know you're kind of one for running with control and then all of a sudden you draw four cards and then you're way ahead mid-range is the kind of deck that's going to nickel and dime you uh out of out of your resources and just keep themselves like getting a little bit ahead turn after turn until over the course of this, you know, twelve turn game, they've accrued a five card advantage on you. Yeah, you play a lot of two for ones in mid range. Um, like we were talking about earlier, Cola Guns Command is a really good example of that. As is Prismari Command, 
Um, but like Arc things, Trail, even. Yeah, Arc Trail, Custody Lich, um, like just Siege Rhino, like anything that just like basically you want everything to like get you value um, somehow and like just propel yourself that little bit further past your opponent and then it just builds up and uh, snowballs. Similar for that reason, you play very few creatures that don't do something immediately because then even if they get removed, you're basically getting you're basically two for one because you're taking their removal spell as well as you're gaining value from whatever your creature did. Yeah, you want like almost all of your creatures to have some immediate value. Um, like there's a few exceptions, um, but like you love uh, creatures with ETB effects or um, like. Uh, when they die effects um, or yeah. just anything along those lines probably the only one that i could think of off the top of my head anyway that doesn't have like an immediate effect that it could do is questing beast that was exactly what was in my head too but even that has haste and like when you hit with it you're just like already like yeah so much value that one is very good at two for wanting the yeah. downside is that one is a legendary creature and gets got by Caracas a lot but you know, cards insane. Play yeah. Questing Beast. Yeah, the yeah. When we're talking about, I mean, like things like Tarmogoyf. Like you still, like you still play. If something is just like really busted, I mean, you're still playing it. Like if your opponent kills a Tarmogoyf, like whatever, that's upsetting. But if they don't kill a Tarmogoyf, well, you just paid two mana for this like five six, and it's gonna kill them real quick. Yeah, and Tarmogoyf kind of has this secret little bit of value on it. Is that like a lot of the metagame. Like, I've cut Tarmogoyf in different metagames. Um, a lot of times uh, in our meta, we our, our meta is often very red, and red cards are not very good at removing Tarmogoyf. Um, so it kind of has this secret, like, it almost says pro-red on it, as far yeah. as, like, not dying to red removal. And, like, I don't know if, this, this, if you've experienced this, but I feel like often when I play Tarmogoyf in our metagame, they die by trading with a creature and a lightning bolt. Yeah. So like uh, that's a two for one right there. Very frequently. Yeah. And like we we've mentioned before, um, Canadian Highlander, maybe even more so than a lot of other formats really utilizes the graveyard. So there's like a lot of, um, just like effects that are like thought scour and mental note are just like played in a ton of different decks just because having cards in your graveyard is like really strong. Um, so there's like a lot of people just dumping cards into their graveyard, um, and yeah, your your Tarmogoyf will usually be pretty big. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a weird tax card. It's like yeah, you can put stuff in your graveyard. It's just gonna cost you your life points. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit more specifically about black, like just straight up black green rock? Yeah. Um, yeah. Black green rock is one of the. Uh, few two-color mid-range decks that we're going to talk about um and it's even in like in itself it has so much uh build versatility but it's it's i'd say it leads a little bit more heavy on the uh, control side generally um but it is kind of trying to do the normal black green x mid-range thing of killing your their creatures and disrupting their hand um, but then it's like a lot of its threats are in the form of planeswalkers and it's um, kind of trying to go bigger um, and it really utilizes the uh, hand attack that black gets um, and um, just like accumulates value through planeswalkers and two for ones and such. 
a very common play pattern I see with Black Green Rock is like they'll just kind of like survive a little bit until like the they have like four or five mana. Sometimes they'll ramp a little bit. Sometimes they'll remove a creature or take something on your hand just to kind of slow you down. But they'll just like leave you with one or two threats, and then they'll just like slam a Planeswalker that will delete one of your threats and then start ticking up for value. Yeah. And then, and, like, they'll do it the next turn, and then the turn after that, they'll Wrath, and then you just, like, can't deal with all their very, very slow incremental value. Yeah, and that is one of the, an, interest, like, an interesting point as well. Black Green Rock is one of the few mid-range decks that um, plays Wraths. Um, like, maybe, I've, I've played Toxic Deluge and a decent amount of mine just because you can pick the value for X, and a lot of the times your creatures are just going to be bigger than your opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of leverage that. But I very rarely am playing um, Damnation or um, Languish or anything like that in any of my other Black Green X midrange decks. But in Rock, um, I'm usually on like Damnation at least. You know, I would say that when it comes to when it comes to playing Wraths in midrange, there is one very very good option that you can play if you happen to be in the best three color midrange colors. Oh, which word. is you can play dam dam in, is very strong you can play dam in abzan as a spot removal spell and then abzan being black green white and then you if, if you find yourself in a situation where wrathing is beneficial you can always overload it and that is one of many reasons that abzan is strictly better than jund me and ash have a uh, long going debate um uh, Dis, uh, disputing whether Jund or Abzan are the superior Black Green X midrange decks. Um, I have specifically always been a, in Canlander. Yeah, specifically in Canlander. Um, I have always been a huge advocate uh, for Jund, um, just because I think it provides a lot more flexibility than Abzan does. But Ash is right. Uh, the recent printing of Dam um, has definitely uh, made that a bigger argument for Abzan um, just because if your point spread involves something like demonic tutor or um, anything like that, where you have like a few ways to get it, it is nice to kind of have that in your back pocket if you need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I will still say, think it has uh, risen above Jund quite yet though. I will say one very, very heavy point in your favor is the fact that Bloodbraid elf is a magic card. Oh yeah. Bloodbraid elf. Um, also, just, like, the flexibility of... I mean, because in both decks, you're already getting um, all of the good black-green removal. Um, but in Abzan, of course, you're on things like Swords and Path, and then in Jun, you're on things like um, Bolt or uh, Incinerate or Abrade or whatever. And I think you just get more flexibility out of the Bolts, because if you're in a matchup in which you're not uh, facing a lot of creatures, you just throw them at their face. So um, I will say... Quick question. Are you on Flame Slash normally? Um, it depends. I, okay. it, it's like kind of a meta thing. I ping pong in and out of Flame Slash a lot. So my normal, we're, and we're going off a bit of a tangent, but that's okay. Yeah. So one, my normal argument for white removal being a lot better in mid-range decks than red removal is the fact that a lot of the time when the game goes a little bit longer, um, you know, your red removal doesn't kill their creatures anymore. But that's what I mean. Like you're a brave. Well, well, hold on, 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 hold on. But you do get to throw the burnet planeswalkers, and specifically in Abzan versus Jund, the abrupt decays and maelstrom pulses and assassins trophies negate that argument. 
Yeah, and that's my whole argument is that you already have the. Uh, hey, the okay, no, I this whole this whole point I just made was me saying my normal argument for red versus white doesn't apply here. I was I was stating sure, that, sure, sure. and you ha- you interrupted me to state that. Uh, I just assumed you were gonna find some way to disjund as you this usually do, guy. and I felt the need to uh, stand up and defend, defend vindicate the honor of jund vindicate that's how you you destroy their and then vindicate's playable basically jund and abzan are both very strong mid-range decks yeah uh, they're just a bit different you get and, to play elspeth knight errant and abzan and i think that is an interesting or a good point to bring up like we were talking about earlier the um build versatility depending on the meta is so huge like in a more grindy meta um, with like maybe like a lot more like he was saying big creatures, I would definitely go for Abzan because you get um better like late game things like the Gideons and the Elspeths, um, and some of the more solid removal. But if you need um like the versatility, maybe being able to go a little bit faster, um, in Jun you get like I said burn, and then you also just get like things like Goblin Rabble Master are like surprisingly efficient threats, um, if you like just need to try to go fast. Yeah, I would say in a known metagame where having a, a thick top end is going to be good, Abzan is strictly better. Um, when it, um, I should be careful using the term strictly better, yeah. but on average, quite a bit better. In a blind metagame or a metagame where you sometimes you just turn the corner and start killing them fast, I think Jund is better. Yeah, I will say one of the very strong top end... Uh top end threats that Jun has gotten recently is um Tor- uh, uh, the yeah, big Chandra. Yeah, Chandra uh, awakening for now. I have I we did um a April first kind of meme uh meme tournament a few weeks ago in which we all built uh meme decks and um That just, was a month ago. Uh close enough. We're we're recording this on May first. Yes. Um and I was on Seinfeld, um, but Seinfeld featuring very, very, well, very hey, you, few win conditions. Hey, Nick, do you want to give a very, very, very quick description of what Seinfeld is? Seinfeld is basically mono blue control in which you're playing all of the good counter spells and most of the bad counter spells, and you just hope to win the die roll and then hope to counter their like first two spells, and then after that you're like pretty good at countering the rest of their spells for the game until you can like kill them somehow you just figure it out uh, you use like a fairy conclave or a snapcaster mage or whatever deck um, is not good it's not good uh it is very tilting though i uh won a match because i won game one and my opponent was like i'm really sorry i can't play this anymore i'm just gonna give you the give you the match um and i felt really bad but it is <laughs> like dude uh, which I have nothing but respect for that player, um, just to be clear. But it is he got oh, me to man. one life, and then I got a Wilkenrith down, and was able to just like, mess, like just stay at that one life for the rest of the game. And I would have been pretty tilted too. That's um, disgusting. Yeah, it was brutal. But my point being, I died to uh, Chandra Awakened Inferno, like I it, it's like three times just because I was like, oh, well, I can't answer this and there's no way I'm killing you in 20 turns. So even if I remove it, that one emblem is going to kill me. So it is. it was quite trash. That that was a long tangent to just say uh, Chandra Awakened Inferno is very good in Jund. Indeed. 
So uh, let's kind of bring it back and just talk a bit about why you would go into a third color over staying just black, green, rock. Um, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I think the primary thing is proactivity. Because um, black, green, rock, it's though you can build it a little more proactive, it, it at its core, it just best functions as a reactive mid-range or straight up a control deck. Yeah, I, I would um, put black, green, rock teetering right on that point between mid-range and control. Um, and depending on the build, you could call it a control deck. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I usually will add a third color. Um, I am known, uh, to play a lot of, like we were talking about Jund and also Saltai, um, black, green, blue, I think is a very, very strong mid-range color combination. Um, just because, I mean, you get, um, like blue interaction but you also get like um just like a lot better ways to maintain like card advantage like jace the mind sculptor if you think he's strong in control he's really strong in mid-range behind a tarmogoyf yeah like if if your jace mind sculptor is just like sitting behind a tarmogoyf and like a questing beast and your opponent's just like huh well i either have to like start trying to swing into these giant threats or just like let this jace keep going um it gets real bad for your opponent yeah i think part of the reason that um black green gets to be the core of most of these decks uh is black green specifically the the main three cards are maelstrom pulse Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy, but there are many other cards that can follow in their footsteps. But they are really good, and, and there's a lot of cards that that do similar enough things that that core makes the deck really good at dealing with almost whatever your opponent throws at you. So then you you can use the supporting color to tune that basically. Like if you find yourself running into a lot of ETB effects or just a lot of threats that, uh, you know, are a little sticky. So once they get into play, it's a bit of a hassle to get them off the board. You might want to lean into soul tie because, uh, countering those spells on their way down is going to be more effective. But if you are seeing a lot of, um, like a lot more threats that are coming down faster where like, you know, you can, they usually can get under counter spells. You might want to lean into more Abzan or Jun where you can have really, really efficient removal for some of that stuff as well. Yeah. So I would... It's really just like your color choice is often a way to tune your black green list to the metagame. I think. Yeah, I would agree. I would say black green is like one of the reasons it's so strong is because it already has such a good um, spread of interaction and, threats um black giving you like hand attack and removal and some good threats and then green obviously just giving you like a ton of solid threats um and so then i think the third color is just to like really tune your list and give it um like that flavor that you want it to have um like whether you want it to be a little more controlling a little more aggressive or um just like yeah like ash was saying like kind of tuning it to what you're trying to beat um midrange i think is like the strongest archetype for um like if you're trying to beat a certain meta and you like really look into what that meta is and what you can build you can build a three color uh midrange deck that will just be good against that meta yeah 
Um, some of the, I think, primary benefits of going into red, like we discussed, are some more efficient removal, a lot of removal that you can turn at their face, um, just to turn the corner and start being more aggressive, and then, as well as a couple efficient threats, um, along, along with, you know, you get your Tarmal Weapon Scavenging and stuff like that, you're also gonna get Goblin Rabble Master, Blood of Bright Elf, um, there's some other red creatures you play, right, probably? Yeah, I mean, you're on a few other red creatures, and, like, things like Chandra Torch of Defiance. Yeah. Um, they're, like, it's, like, a good card. It, like, kills creatures, it gets you card advantage, but it also just, like, domes your opponent. Um. Now, when it comes to... Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were finished. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, as far as Abzan goes, um, though there is an Abzan aggro list, I don't really like it, and it has nothing to do with the list, I just don't really like playing aggro all that much. And if I do, it's either Affinity or Medium Red. But uh, aside from like the Abzan aggro list, you can... Um, from Abzan, the, I think the better things you get is a, a better top end and some even more like broad use removal. Like you get Vindicate and Anguish Storm Making, which are some of your best ways to kill Planeswalkers. Um, along with uh, removal such as Swords and Path. And prismatic ending, which are a prismatic ending super versatile, and then swords and path are extremely efficient and deal with stuff permanently. Um, but then, like you get really, really, <clears throat> excuse me, you get a really powerful top end with um, like a couple Elsbeths, and um, uh, there are also some okay angel options, namely, um, what's the one, what's the one the the forge up one that gives all your stuff hexproof? Oh, um. Shalai. Shalai's great. Yeah. Shalai is really good into other metas or metas that also have a lot of interaction because it makes your planeswalkers and creatures hexproof. Um and bonks really well. But also uh there are um what what are the other there's like I feel like there's a lifelink flyer that I can't think of that's like really common in absent lists. Um I mean, depending on the meta, you might be on, like, Baneslayer Angel or something, but I don't think that you're uh, slotting that in, usually. Hmm. Um, Maybe I'm insane. What am I thinking of? I have no clue. Huh. Well, either way, the the main thing to be an absent for is more uh, uh, removal that's less contingent on what your opponent has, just, like, is more likely to just kill anything. Um, But... Out of blue, you get that early, or sorry, that like mid early interaction with the counter spells. And like in those lists, you're not playing like 15 counter spells. You're like playing like maybe 5 to 10. Yeah. And I would say not even, like you're not even on 10. You're like, usually if, I, if I'm playing Sultai, I'm on like maybe counter spell, force of will, and like cryptic command, and maybe one or two more. Yeah, and um, the Force of Will also depends just how many blue cards you're on. But another benefit you get out of being in blue is you can play Planeswalkers, such as Jace and Jace the Mind Sculptor, and then like Narset Parter Avails to draw you uh, into more stuff, as well as Cantrips to help you find the specific stuff you need. So yeah. like you don't need to play as much removal if you are really good at finding the re- removal you have. And like we were talking about earlier, the gold cards are one of, like, the huge reasons. Like, honestly, one of the biggest reasons to play Sultai is, like, Burrow and Oko. Like, both of those cards are just so, so strong, especially in mid-range decks. Extremely good. Um, um, not to mention, um, uh, oh, heck, what's his name? 
the he cost Sultai and he got banned in Commander and Leavold? he can't draw. Yeah, Leovold. Yeah, he he's like insane. Um, and uh, as well as that, Drowndalock has proven to be a very very effective card, and yes. that's uh, that you get to that that kind of takes away the downside of playing a counterspell, which is you know. It, you can't counter a spell that's already resolved unless you're playing Drown the Lock, in which case you kind of can. Yeah, which, and again, like in those um, Sultai, Sultai decks, you're on Thought Scour and Mental Note um, because you're on like a lot of Delve spells, you're on like Uro, um, Drown in the Lock. Um, Tassiger is a common choice. Tassiger, yeah. Um, Tassiger, Dig Through Time and Cruise, depending on what you want your point spread to be. Um, yeah, so just having uh like already wanting to dump cards in your graveyard um drowning the lock will just be really good yeah so um I've, we can kind of talk a little more about blue mid-range but we're gonna step away from step away from the black a little bit uh so the main two lists i want to talk about here are um jeskai which is blue white i don't know anyone who's watching a podcast over this point knows what jeskai means so <laughs> yeah. we, we have Jeskai and Bant are the two that I want to talk about. Um, and to an extent, Grixis, but it's most Grixis lists are going to end up more controlling than mid-range. Yeah. Um, it's not to say I've never seen a good mid-range list. I have in Grixis, but they usually end up leaning more control. Yeah, I have played Grixis mid-range before. I would say it's probably the least um, good if you're trying to like actually build mid range, um, but I I think I've played every three color combination as a mid range deck, and they have almost all felt perfectly reasonable. I I will say the, it's kind of weird that like Grixis is like the worst mid range deck because Grixis is the in my opinion, out of the control decks you can build, it's the most mid rangey. Yeah, I but I it, would agree. It's like a mid-range control deck, not a mid-range mid-range deck, I guess. I think the problem with Grixis is you don't get um, green or white, which are your like really heavy threat colors. Like white, you get a lot of the like planeswalkers and um, like creatures and stuff like that, and then green, obviously, you just have like a plethora of uh, creatures that are going to kill your opponent. Um, so with Grixis, you're like you have a ton of interaction. Um, but not like a ton of the really good threats, which is why it's just so much easier to lean towards control because you already have that amazing interaction and less threats. Yeah. So when it comes to Jeskai or Bant, um, because you don't have quite the same, uh, quite the same threat options as you do in green, um, as Nicholas was just alluding to, white is kind of your next default point to get your good threats across. And in both Jeskai and Bant, I think one of the best ones is going to be Stoneforge Mystic. Um, just doing a Stoneforge package, even if you don't have too many other creatures, it, it's the kind of thing that can easily win the game on its on its own. But um, if you are the kind of person who really likes the whole like bolt snap bolt thing, like I myself do. Um, you can do you can kind of lean a little more into that as opposed to playing Stoneforge. And like in my last Jeskai list, which I think I will be linking under here. I think I have it still. Um I was not playing Stoneforge Mystic. It was like the hundred and second card, you know? 
So it was pretty close, but I ended up not playing it. But you can, if you're on enough, if you play a lot of burn, you can play, um, you can play to just kind of nickel and dime them with like Snapcaster Mage or Vendillion Click or uh, some of your, the other flash flyers you'll see a lot of the time, um, such as uh, Aven Mind Sensor and then end the game with a little bit of burn. But um, those ones are going to play uh, a lot like you're going to play like one or two creatures and try and protect them instead of trying to like put a bunch of threats on the board. So yeah, but your comments on that, your threats are going to be very, um, very efficient. And the other oh, thing, yeah. like he was saying with the Stoneforge package, um, especially in things like Jeskai is you have, um, a lot of flyers, like you're saying, even mind sensor, you get, um, nibble obstructionist, Vendillion you, click, Vendillion click. Um, so, and you're just like you can play um, like more of like the angels in like just kind of mid range decks than you would in some other decks. So have being like equipping that sword or that GTA or whatever, it's a lot more likely to connect um, just yeah. due to the evasion on those. Creatures. And like uh, in the Jeskai list, um, I played Galvanic Iteration, which let me double up twice on spells, so that helped with the burning them out. But um, you also play like Brimaz and uh, not Thalia. You play the three mana Thalia, I think. Yeah, I usually um, do. Uh, like Rabble Master and um, stuff like that. So, but you do play a lot of spells. So uh, you also can play like a young Pyromancer and Monastery Mentor to really benefit from the number of cantrips you're playing. Yeah. Because um, those benefit off your cantrips and your burn. They almost like give your burn an extra point of damage by making a token out of it. Um, so, uh, Jeskai does play quite a bit differently than most other mid-range decks, I think. Um, it's probably the most tempo-y, I would say, but at the same time, you're still going to be playing Jace the Mind Sculptor to dig yourself further ahead and that type of thing. Um, do you have any more comments on Jeskai before we move to Bant? No. Okay. So Bant, you do get the benefit of playing green, but, um, obviously you're not in blacks, so you're not getting the Assassin's Trophy, Abrupt Decay type stuff, and you're not in red, so you're not getting the burn type stuff. But uh, I think Bant is really good at, um, it's, I don't know, I feel like there are a lot of ways you can take Bant, but I think Bant is probably one of the better non-black builds at having a lot of really good top decks, like, like not, like, not drawing dead a lot of the time. Yeah, I think with I, Bant, you can really get a lot of yeah good top decks and i mean i said I, also i think bant is one of the better ones to play mana dorks in um yeah just because you get a lot of really good creatures um that are, like or you get a lot a little lot of really good kind of more expensive threats in bant um like i said like the three drop slot and on so it's nice to kind of accelerate yeah, and because you do play uh, such a high density of card draw in the Bant list, like you play a lot of cantrips and you're li- likely on dig, cruise, or both, um, you, and, and probably memory dealers, honestly, if you're playing mana dorks, uh, you're, it's, it's a little bit more okay to be playing, um, ma- uh, uh, mana dorks because, and this is, I guess, I don't have math to back this up. This is my own opinion, but, if, like, say in Jund, like, you know, your average top deck is, like, X good, right? Um, if you're in Bant, 
you're allowed to play some that are a little bit worse, such as the Mana Dorks, if you play, because you're playing so many ones that are better top decks, such as, like, if you're late game and you have, like, seven lands, drawing a, drawing a dig through time is going to be insanely good. Yeah. Because you get to immediately reach off. And it's not like drawing a coercive portal where it doesn't do anything that turn. It Like, you have to wait for it to accrue value. It's like, in my opinion, late game when you've got a lot of resources, you have a lot of mana, I should say. Being able to immediately utilize card advantage is way better than putting down delayed card advantage. So I think being able to play those blue draw spells is going to be going to make a lot more, make you a lot more comfortable playing some mana dorks because you can get into that middle late game faster, and then your top decks are going to be much more immediately valuable. Yeah. Also, um, like with these like blue mid range decks, you get cantrips, which lets you kind of filter through a lot easier. Um, so you don't have to worry as much about, um, like top decking some of those bad cards just because you can kind of, um, like sift through your deck a little bit easier. Yeah. And part of, um, the reason you play cantrips in this deck is to just exactly that, be able to dig into the stuff you need and, uh, also, if you talk to the top deck late game, you can immediately find something better with them. But um, depending on, just I want to make a little comment about this. I know recently we talked about blue white control and how important uh, peaking Ataxian Probe are to know it's in your opponent's hand. This is the kind of deck where if you're playing a little bit less interaction, just a little more, just like you're just gonna wait till they do a thing and then deal with it. Like you're not really gonna be playing permission. It's a little bit more okay to maybe. Uh, go down. Uh, you probably still play probe. I would say. Yeah, I but definitely. You're probably would not okay to go down peak. peak. Well, it depends on your build. If you're like on a pretty controlly build, you might still be on peak. But if you're playing a more mid range version where you're on many fewer counter spells, like again, the probably the three to seven range, uh, you're not. You're probably not going to be on peak. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make that point after I sat and preached the glories of peak. <laughs> um. But anyway, another great thing you get out of being in Bant is um, you get to kind of play that little bit of early... Uh, you play some removal and permission to get yourself to the mid and late game. And then, you, again, being in white, you get to play some extremely powerful threats, um, such as Elsbeth and Elsbeth and um, uh, stuff like that. Uh, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, Teferi, Time Raveler. But uh, you get to play those cards in the same deck you're playing Uro and Oko in. And that just gets to be a point where you're playing some insanely good cards next to each other. Yeah. And that just kind of leads to a win by itself. Oftentimes, um, one of the biggest things about... Um, nope, my thought completely just left my brain. I have no idea what I was about to say. I don't know what you're about to say either, but um, huh. yeah, play like if if you can build a deck in which you're playing all of the cards that are really good at winning the game by themselves, and you just like play them all one after another, it's pretty easy to to win the game off of the backs of those really strong cards. Oh right, sorry, I remember what I was going to say. Um, you can build a Bant mid range list. Like there are two good. Like, I don't want to say equally good, because I haven't really tested them out. I couldn't tell if they're equal, but two valid builds of the deck. One is going to be the really Planeswalker-heavy one, where, like, you're not just playing, like, four mana Elspeth, Oko, three mana Teferi. You're, like, playing, like, those ones, and five mana Teferi, and six mana Elspeth, and Jace the Mind Sculptor, and maybe even more. 
Like, like Wilkin. You might even be on Wilkinrith, maybe some Gideons. And then you can play more Wrath of Gods. Um, but I would only recommend doing that in a in a meta ripe for that ripe to be beaten by Wrath of God. Yeah, like in um, a kind of more grindy um, creature heavy meta. I, I like that kind of build. Yeah, but if it's a meta where a lot of other people are also not playing as many creatures and are doing a lot of Planeswalker stuff, um, I would suggest you probably go down on that a little bit and just play more spot removal. Um, that is able to remove the Planeswalkers as well. Which is harder in Bant. There's not very many ways to kill Planeswalkers in Bant. The best way, if you know what colors those Planeswalkers are going to be, you can maybe play the um, the two-mana card from like Return to Ravnica block that exiles a black or red permanent. Yeah, I don't think maybe don't. that. I mean, you get like Council of Judgment, and you get um, like Prismatic Ending. And just like attacking Planeswalkers is a surprisingly efficient way to kill them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one other point of order for pretty much any white-based um, mid-range deck, for example, Abzan, that Jun does not have access to, is uh, per, uh, uh, Palace Jailer. That is one of those cards that is really good at uh, accruing incremental value. Um, so play that one. Yeah, um, that one's good. Yeah, One thing I would suggest you avoid when you're building a mid-range deck and this goes for really any build of mid-range, is avoid falling into the trap of like high synergy or comboing because your deck is really built to have each card stand on its own. And when you start falling into traps where this card would be good if this, then you can very quickly turn your deck into a deck full of good cards and then also some cards that you draw and do nothing. Yeah. And that is really, really not where you want to be because the way your deck is going to win is not by just like some, broadly speaking, it's not just going to win by some overwhelming source of advantage you just got. It's going to be by playing out every little interaction just right to accrue a little advantage here, a little advantage there, and then eventually run your opponent out of resources. So uh, I would avoid leaning into synergies too much that aren't going to be extremely present. Yeah, and I, there are a few exceptions to that. Um, like uh, adding a lands package is a pretty common thing in certain midrange decks. Um, I know um, I play a lot of John midrange with a lands package in it. Um, and I know Seth, our resident uh, green-black rock player, really uh, likes his land lands package and it's been really good for him. Um so you can do things like that, but you have to be really careful about diluting your deck too much um, and going too deep into that to the point that you're going to have bad top decks. Yeah. Um, I will say the lands is one thing that it's a, it kind of gets to be a bit of an exception for two main reasons. One, it's very low opportunity cost. Like You can put a, like some interesting lands in your deck without messing your deck up too much. Um, for example, you can put Besage in your deck just because it's correct, right? Like, you're not... Like, you're losing the Blood Moon, like, slightly more, but uh, you can also just get a basic forest and then use Besager to kill the Blood Moon. Yeah. So, like, you you get some... Like, it's just extremely low opportunity cost to play it. But, um... Also, like, in Jund, you're already playing Ren and Six. You're already going to be playing Strip Mine in, like, half of the Jund builds I've seen. You're already going to be playing Tireless Tracker. You're already playing Corsair of Crufix. You're already playing so many cards that fit into the lands package that 
you don't have to take you, you don't have to add much stuff that doesn't already go in the deck by itself and those cards have proven to stand on their own yeah. they don't need help from other certain cards yeah like if you just throw in like a romnop excavator and like a life in the loam then you're are like you're like doing pretty good and those cards like on on their own they're not like game winning but like being able to play more lands in a mid-range deck is like pretty big like it's mm-hmm. You're not super devastated if you're just getting back a fetch land every turn, or yeah. uh, and, I mean, something like that. My opinion, um, I've started in my Jun lands list. I, I usually cut the excavator now, uh, just because it's it's like it's a creature that's too fragile on itself. Like it doesn't usually rumble very well, and it's like fine when it first comes into play. Uh, loam, which is just a recurrable source of advantage, I think is the more valuable to me. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it depends on um, how you build it, because you have to be really um, conscious about your deck building decisions when you're adding these um, like synergy packages. Um, so it just depends on how deep you're going, I guess. Yeah, um, and I will say, out of all these mid-range decks, we've talked a lot about how None of them, or so the main idea of mid range is not just like some overwhelming point of advantage out of nowhere. The exception to that is probably the blue ones. If you are playing some, like if you're playing Treasure Cruise or Dig Through Time or Ancestral Recall and are able to recur that somehow, which usually these decks are, Snapcaster Mage is a pretty common way to do so. Um, also, Snapcaster Mage is an insanely good mid range card, just saying. Yes, it is. Um, but uh, even still, like they those decks are still pretty good at getting ahead without like the the recall, you know, like just being able to snapcaster mage and a piece of, like snapcaster mage to remove something and then block something else and trade. That's a fantastic two for one. Being able to cast a couple cantrips to make your general card quality better than your opponents is usually very important. Um. So, I guess just be aware of that if you're looking to build mid-range, uh, blue mid-range. You will still want to play those like those bigger range cards, but it's not the only way you win. Yeah. Um, now, I do want to say, Nick, I would like to uh, 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 extend an olive branch. And I think that we can come to an agreement on... Or we we can come to a a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like when two people like like agree on something that's like kind of in between. A compromise. We can come <laughs> to a compromise here. Okay. All right. I would like to offer you Jund, but also with white cards. Uh, I so, like, think that that sounds like a great idea, Ash. How could we possibly accomplish such a thing? Well, instead of just playing Jund or just playing Abzan, we play both the green-black base as well as supporting white and red cards, and maybe even cards that are all of those colors. My goodness, Ash, that sounds very powerful. What kind of deck could this be? The kind that loses to Blood Moon. Yes, it does. Um, so uh, we're, of course, talking about Four Color Blood. If you're not familiar with Four Color Blood, it is the uh, Four Color mid-range deck that is non-blue. So it's black, green, red, and white. This deck has a very tough mana base on it. So um, 
I will say this is probably one of the few decks you really can't build on a a a duelist, a fully duelist land base. Yeah. Uh, at least not in an aggressive meta game because you're going to be taking too much damage. Um, but the uh, the benefits uh, are very very good. Um, you play a lot of the cards we've talked about. You get to play the abrupt decays, the assassin trophies. The Vindicates, the Lightning Helixes, the four mana Elsbeths, the four mana Chandras, um, the Tarmogoyfs, maybe not Scavenging Ooze. I don't know if your build had Scavenging Ooze. But you get to play like all the, all the keystone cards from these, from these uh, archetypes. And, uh, you get to play a lot of gold cards. You don't get to play many other decks. The strength of this deck, I think, really lies in the fact that you just get to play all of these really powerful gold cards. Um, like Bloodbraid Elf right next to Siege Rhino just like kills your opponent so so quick. Yeah, this is one of the few decks that I, the few mid range decks I do opt to play more dorks in, and that is pretty much specifically to be able to hit your colors because you play a lot of colored pips in this deck. Yeah, um, and that's that's why but, we're saying you probably want to have um, some of at least some of the like maybe like a Bayou at least and some of the uh, other OG duels if you're gonna build four color blood because it's very mana intensive. Yeah, um, one thing about the deck that I think um, makes playing mana dorks a little bit more okay is you can play a couple of the um, like charms or whatever cards that uh, you're playing that can draw more cards like painful truths for example painful truths is kind of a mainstay in this deck and that's another reason why you really want dual lands um but you can uh you can you can play more card draw cards in this because there's a lot of charms that also remove stuff so you get a lot of versatility that way um one other thing about this deck is it is ex- uh, similar to any mid-range deck it is very very customizable so like, I think Nicholas's builds tend to be pretty black green heavy. Is that right? Yeah, usually. I mean, it's kind of hard. Like there, it's usually pretty even spread, but it is. I would say most mainly uh, black green heavy, with just like a lot of the red and white cards being some of the better removal, and then a lot of just the gold cards. Okay, my like I've noticed my list. Like I, I think last time I built it, I like counted up the pips in each one, and it was almost completely even across the four colors. Um, with, I think, a slight leaning toward white, but that was because I was on Gideon Ally and Gideon... Or, sorry, Gideon Ally in the card, Gideon to the Trials, and Elspeth Night Errant, so I had a lot of double white cards. Um, but, like, just, you know, every th- this deck can be built a lot of ways as well. Um, I don't want to say this is the most fun f- mid-range decks. I don't know that it is, but it is definitely one of the more exciting ones. Yeah, it's... Like, something about you just getting to, like, take the best cards out of this four-color combination and just jam them all into one, like, mid-range deck. It feels like every spell you cast is just, like, it's so powerful. Basically, it's just like you get to have a blatant disregard for the fact that Blood Moon exists for, like, three rounds. And then in round four, you just, like, get slapped with a, a reality check. Yeah, they just like and... price of progress you on turn four, and you're like, well, I already like, well, like you're like turn five or six, and you're like, well, I have six non basics right here, so I guess I'm just taking twelve. Yeah, it's bad. I will say the deck got slightly more affordable with the advent of triumphs. If you're going to build a slower build, but if you want to do the like 
traditional, like you're playing something every single turn for the first six turns, um, you kind of you you play like maybe one triumph, maybe two. Like you, you play very few triumphs because yeah. you need to just get your colors out and then you need to get them out untapped fast. Um, but the next grade, I suggest giving it a try if it's something you're able to do or able to borrow from someone. Yeah, deck is fantastic. Um, yeah, the deck's really fun. Before um, we're, we're going to talk about um, the kind of it's hard to gauge the points because it depends entirely on your build and stuff. Um, before we get to points, I do want to talk about the two three color combinations that we didn't talk about. Um, not extensively, but I think that it is worth mentioning that both Esper and Naya are very reasonable mid-range um, builds. Oh, I think very much so. I have um, a Naya mid-range deck that um, I played in a mini tournament that we did recently that um, I went either 3-0 or 4-0. I don't remember how many rounds we played. Um, and worth and, noting, you were also playing um, a Lance Package. Yes. Uh, so I will we'll link that list with this um, episode. Um, and you can kind of see what a Lance Package might look like. Um, but then Esper, you also just get like a lot of the uh, really efficient um, kind of threats and interaction that we were talking about earlier. You get like Geist of Saint Draft, which is really cool. Um, yeah, that's like one of the few decks you can actually manage Geist in. Yeah. Okay, um, just a brief overview of what points look like in these kind of decks. Um, if you're playing a lands package, you're likely playing a Primeval Titan, and you're likely green base, which means you're likely going to be playing Natural Order as part of your points to turbo into a Primeval Titan. Yeah. That's pretty standard, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's not, um, like, I mean, you're definitely on Strip Mine, obviously, if you're in a lands package. Um, but yeah. then, yeah, uh, Natural Order is a pretty good one, or you can just be on, like... There's a lot of really good pointed cards that you can just like put into your deck, like GTA, True Name, Dig, Cruise, um, Time Twister. I play Soul Ring in a lot of my mid range decks as long as, um, like, obviously I'll look at how um, color intensive they are, and if they're too color intensive, I won't put a Soul Ring in. But so you you said Time Twister? Did you mean to say Time Walk? No. Wait. What did I? No, I didn't mean to say either of those. Um, I don't remember what else. Oh, no, 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 no. Mind Twist. Sorry. Yeah, um, Time Twister is like... No, do not uh, play Time uh, Twister yeah. in your mid-range decks. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe if you're, like, a blue mid-range deck that's really playing to the board a lot, like, then maybe you would do it. No, but you're not doing that. I, I, prob- do not, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> do not put a Time Twister in your mid-range deck. If you're playing Time Twister in your mid-range deck, it's probably either bad or not a mid-range deck. Or it should be next to a Leovold, Narset, or Notion Thief. Sure. If you're like going for that really cheeky kind of um, synergy build. Would not recommend. Yeah, maybe maybe not. But I mean, hey, do what you... Like at mid-range is very customizable. So if that's what you're going for, go for it. And it... But uh, a couple of the other pointed cards that come up a lot in mid-range decks are stuff like GTA, like Nicholas mentioned. Those go in a lot of the white decks with Stoneforge Mystic, but they also show up in other like John builds of, as well. Um, but other ones are a lot of tutors. Mainly you'll see a copy of Demonic Tutor and a lot of black builds. But you can see Enlightened Tutor, Mystical Tutor, and other decks if there are enough, like, utility targets. 
Yeah, and I think that's the important thing to mention. Like, some people look at Demonic Tutor in a mid-range deck and think it's, like, kind of weird. But you are on, like, a lot of, um, like, I guess utility cards that are really good in, like, every situation, but really good in certain situations. So it's nice to, like, have that Demonic Tutor to be able to, like, search for a Palace Jailer in a certain situation or, um, like, a fiery confluence in another situation um like it just um depending on the situation is really nice to have that versatility because you have a lot of yeah really good cards in certain situations so you very rarely see mana vault or mana crypt because you really don't want because usually mid range decks are built to play at least a medium to long game and those are not cards that are conducive to a medium to long yeah, game no um you uh will see moxin on occasion in certain mid-range builds but yeah you don't want to be on mana crypt or vault usually yeah soul ring is pretty common as well but not in four color blood because like we said the mana is too dense okay so do you want to do you have any other thoughts on mid-range specifically i don't think so i'm sure there's a lot of things we didn't cover but that's just going to be the nature of it um if you have any questions like ash said you can uh Hit us up on Twitter or Discord if you're able to um, and ask. Yeah, and if you have any specific archetypes, even ones we already talked about today, if you want us to go really in-depth on one of them, uh, if that's something you guys want to see, please let us know specifically what archetype you'd like to see, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get an episode out for it. So, Nick, do you want to talk about what deck you played uh, this last week or... or any week since we did our last episode. Uh, I think yes. Um, so I think the we it's been a little while since we recorded our last episode. Um, just because life got really busy, but hopefully we'll be back on a somewhat regular schedule now. But there are I want to talk about last week, and then there's one week in particular I want to talk about because it was uh one of the most glorious things that's ever happened. But I'll talk about this previous week first. Um, I played um Blue Moon, um. Which is, if you don't know, it's like a kind of it's like a control deck um, playing all of the blood moons and back to basics, and then um, it's blue red, and you're just kind of trying to like it's a weird dynamic on a control deck because you're also just on like a lot of um, like burn, but then also like a lot of like the red kind of I, I was on uh, Chandra and Waking Inferno and stuff like that, um, but I ended up uh, going three and zero. Um, I have to try to remember my matches first. My first match was against Ash. Um, do you want me to spoil what you were on, or do you want me to wait and let you share what happened in that match? Go for um, it. Yeah, so Ash was on medium red. Um, and one of the things that you will see in some Blue Moon decks, not all of them, but you'll see, um, a Madcap Experiment Platinum Imperium package. Um, and I did just so happen to be on that package, and turns out that is very strong against medium red. Um, so a combination of being able to tutor for that uh, combo somewhat consistently and get a Platinum Imperial in play, and Ash having a few uh, unfortunate mulligans, um, I was able to wrap that up. I think I think two and one. I think you got one of the games. Um, I did, but I, I just want to give a little context. I, I was extremely tilted by the result of this matchup. And the the reason for this, valid reason for this, uh, it, oh, shush. 
the week prior, he had told me he built Blue Moon and did not have Platinum Empyrean package in it. Which was true at the time. Which was true at the time. But I didn't know that between when he told me that and when we played that he had taken the deck apart and then rebuilt it. Or rather retooled it. Yeah. I guess he didn't fully so take it what, apart. What really but... happened was I was planning on playing it one week. And then I ended up getting really busy on Tuesday and Thursday, so I wasn't able to play either day. And then I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to take this apart and just build something else. So I took it mostly apart, and then I was like, actually, I don't have time to build something completely new. So I was like, I'm just going to like put it back together, because I still had it like mostly like just kind of spread out or whatever. And I was like, you know what, I just kind of feel like playing a Platinum Imperium in my deck. So I slotted that in, and um tweak the deck a little bit changing like some points and stuff but yeah but like i don't remember exactly what play i made but i remember making one or two plays specifically because i knew he wasn't on platinum imperion and then he just on my end step cast mystical tutor and went and got madcap experiment and i was like oh come on <laughs> uh which madcap experiment i think won me like a solid like four or five games um throughout the night um let's see my second match i was against um lands i don't remember what it was four color no black Four color no black um and i think i also got that one two and one that one was really close um i think he got game one um but it was a really close fight i got game two um, and then game three, um, he almost had it, but I was able to get um, a Platinum Imperion into play, and that was able to keep me alive long enough to um, do shenanigans. But in the game that I lost, I actually was able to get down a like turn three or four back to basics, and then I proceeded to draw zero basics for the rest of the game. Uh, so I and he drew a he drew a field of the dead right yeah well he drew a lot of basics and he to in his defense he was also playing a lot of land tutors so he was able to tutor for a lot of those basics um, but then eventually he tutored for a field of the dead and I was stuck on four mana for the entire game so I couldn't really do anything about it and um, that's what lost me the game so I was a little bit disappointed that my deck built to abuse back to basics uh, lost because of my own back to basics, but that's just the nature of it sometimes. Isn't that just the definition of being hoisted by your own petard? Yes, I actually I'm pretty sure I used that exact phrasing at some point, being like, "Oh, I'm hoisted by my own petard." Um, but in my third match, I was against um, our resident green black rock player, which we talked about tonight. And um, we had some really close games. One of our games, I got another back to basics in play, but this one was uh, significantly better because he's on a lands package, which means he is uh, playing less basics than maybe some some other green black rocks rock lists would play. So uh, I was able to win off of that. And then in another game, I was able to just get a platinum imperial into play, and uh, um, just he. Which, Platinum Imperion really usually isn't that great in that matchup, um, but I had already kind of burnt through a lot of his removal, and he just didn't see enough removal quick enough um, for me not to um, just attack. And I think I played, like, a Chandra Awakened Inferno as well, um, which kind of finished finished it off. Uh, okay, but I want to talk about, uh, like, four or five weeks ago. I'm not going to talk about every match or every game, but... 
I was playing Paradox Academy, um, which if you're not familiar with the deck... Oh my gosh. Yes. This? this so Paradox Academy is a combo deck using Paradox, Paradox Engine and um, a bunch of mana rocks and stuff that uh, obviously untap whenever you play things, and you just make a bunch of mana. But one Artifact of, Storm. One of the win conditions in that deck um, comes through Mindslaver and Academy Ruins. So I am playing Mindslaver in that deck. And in my very first match, I am paired up against another Paradox Academy deck. Um, and I think we, like, maybe we're, like, 1-1 at this point, and we go into game three. And it's, like, this big back-and-forth thing. Um, I'm, like, setting up a bunch of mana, and notably I have a Mindslaver in hand. And my opponent uh, is able to tutor for a Paradox Engine and play it, but doesn't have quite enough mana to go off that turn, but he can go off the next turn. Well, I... On my next turn, I'm able to play this Mind Slaver and crack it, and then take his turn for him. And I was able to combo off using his Paradox Academy deck in order to. I think I was able. I was able to get um, a Aetherflux Reservoir and get him to exactly fifty life, casting spells and using a Staff of Domination. And then I paid fifty life to kill his Trinket Mage, uh, which of course killed him, seeing as he no longer had fifty life or no longer any life. Um, and so I was like, oh man, that was like a crazy situation. That's like really cool. That doesn't happen very often. And then in my next match, I was against sort of a troll deck. I think Ash, uh, built this deck for fun and then lent it to someone because they wanted to try it, but they were playing Jeskai Ascendancy, um, which is <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot like Paradox Academy, but much worse. Um, but a very, very similar situation happened in which they were able to get a Jeskai Ascendancy into their hand, but couldn't quite go off. And then I mind slavered them and was able to combo off using their Jeskai Ascendancy and their mana dorks in order to kill them. And it was just like one of the the craziest um, situations I've had. I think I only actually won with Paradox Engine in one of my games. Um, the rest of them were either mind slaver or just like kind of like um, like basalt monolith rings of. Uh, Rings of Brightheart kind of things. This is this is silly, is what this. But is. I will, By the way, you like, could have targeted himself with the Aetherflux Reservoir. Yeah, but I mean, like, I wanted to get the, hey, the get the rub ins and kill the uh, the Trinket Mage as well. Well, the Trinket Mage didn't die. Uh, sure, but it would have if like I had decided to activate the Staff of Domination again. <laughs> Which I guess I wouldn't have had an opportunity to do that before state-based actions were checked. But that's not the point. The point is that I won using his deck. I am going to tell my story now. Okay, go for it. You're a disgusting monster. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to just talk about this last week. Uh, I, pl- I was playing medium red. Uh, this is not the day I played against Nicholas. That day, uh, I didn't do too hot. I think I ended up like one and two. I'm not sure. Um... But uh, the second day that week, I played medium red. Um, I let's see. Round one, I went up against. I don't remember what I went up against. I went up against some deck and then won. I think it might have been uh, the rock. I'm not sure. I, I played it against some deck and won. It was not that not that important. Round two, I went up against our friendly medium red player tie. If in, if for the mirror match and I'm all again to f- six and have the most insane turn one ever. So I go turn one 
uh, City of Traders, Mana Vault, Thought Not Seer, and take his only threat. And he had a piece of removal, but it was sorcery speed. It was chain lightning, so it didn't matter. So I took his P, Akira, Nolara, and he just had chain lightning. Is all he was left with, pretty much. So he goes land go, and then on uh, I, on turn two, I go float mana off the City of Traders, play a mountain, and dash Ragavan. And then, well, the rest is kind of history. Uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. Um, and then game th- uh, match there, I went up against Jund and just kind of like stomped really fast both games, like real fast. Um, I just had two really fast starts and he couldn't really get off to do, do much after I got a Blood Moon in play. Well, it was Magnus of the Moon. And then uh, fourth round, I went up against Chad on... Uh, you know, he's playing his green red bond list, and we uh, we lost. We, he got me, um, As... mainly because his Lelia hit play one turn before my Lelia hit play, so his was bigger, and then his got out of burn range by the time I could do. I, I got burn, and then, and then I died. Yeah, that's that's what happens a lot of the time when you're up against a uh, red green bond. Yeah, but overall, deck is cool. I found out I wasn't playing Goblin Rabble Master. Oops. Oh, that's not good. Um, no, I don't know what bad card I was playing instead because I was on 100 cards, but <laughs> uh, it is what it is. But yeah, so that's what we played. Um, yeah. Do you have any closing remarks? We're already going a little over. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you have any questions about midrange or any archetypes you'd like us to go, or any specific midrange decks you'd like us to go deeper in on, um, let us know. Um And we will see you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Points Podcast. And don't forget to count your points.